This is the Living Vertizano podcast brought to you by The Church at Riverstone, a fellowship of the Church of the Nazarene in Madera, California. Our episode today focuses on Matthew 19, 1 through 12, which examines Jesus' response to the Pharisees' questions about divorce. Together, we will be continuing our discussion on forgiveness and reconciliation. Hi, everybody. I'm Nick. I'm Natasha. I'm Brittany. I'm Derek. And we are the Living Vertizontal Podcast, back with you again this week. Um, And just as a reminder, we just came out of Matthew chapter 18, uh, where we discussed uh, Jesus's parable of the unmerciful servant and, and really how important it is for us as disciples of Christ to live a life of forgiveness, where that just works out of everything that we are. And so now uh, we're going to move from Matthew 18 and into Matthew 19. Specifically, uh, today we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 12. We'll just jump right in. So I, I think today we have Natasha reading for us. So Natasha, would you mind reading Matthew 19, 1 through 12? And then we'll see where we go from there. Sure. So Matthew chapter 19, verse 1 says, When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea, to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them, male and female, and said, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it is better not to marry. Jesus replied, Not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way, and there are eunuchs who have made or who have been made eunuchs by others. And there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. All right. Thank you for reading that. Um, So let's just dive in like usual. So what what are we seeing? Uh, What's standing out to you? Um, Something that I noticed that when I I was doing some research on this, um, there were two different camps um, in regards to divorce and the reasons for which you could, a man could divorce his wife. Um, and it's, it, they used these two camps to kind to try to trick, trick Jesus into um, giving it, getting into that debacle. Um, and it's also interesting that they talk about divorce. And this is the question because this is the same topic that, um, that John the Baptist was, was killed over. 
I mean, they're looking for ways to test Jesus, Scripture says here, and then we know that they're trying to trap him ultimately to get him to the cross eventually. And so if John, like you said, if John the Baptist, if it worked for John the Baptist and he was, he was executed because he condemned this action of Herod, that Herod had done earlier with Herodias. And so why, you know, this seems like a, a pretty good plan, right? So if we can, we can get John the Baptist this way, then surely we could get Jesus this way too. If, if Jesus comes out against against divorce, then maybe he'll say something offensive to one of the leaders. And so they'll have him beheaded as well. And that'll take care of, take care of our issue or our problem. I think that's a good observation. And, you know, in true Jesus fashion, he completely um, takes that, that controversy and the, the questions that were meant to, to just send him into this issue. And he just completely tells them, you know, that's not, it neither, none of this is right. Um, and he just kind of takes it a step further of, you know, this is where you're at and you we're actually supposed to be this. We're actually supposed to go a step further than what you're going. You'd think that they'd know him by now, right? <laughs> like you'd think that when they come to him to try to trap him or ask him a question that they, they would have learned that they're going to be left, you know, just standing gawking because he's come at them in some other way that they completely did not even anticipate. Well, I mean, you look at the Sermon on the Mount, multiple things, like Jesus teaches on multiple different, or or maybe I should say responds to multiple different laws. You know, you've heard that it was said this, <laughs> but I say, and he goes further. And I feel, as you were reading it, um, and I was, you know, listening to it and also reading over it as well, that's kind of what I heard happening here. Like the the Pharisees are essentially saying, well, you've heard that it was said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Jesus goes, yeah, but I say, <laughs> um, and and takes it a step further and, and even takes it so far it, if we hold the Sermon on the Mount in our minds as we read this in this first couple of verses, we remember that the Sermon on the Mount, it, the focus of that conversation was the heart, right? And and the intentions of the heart and the state of the heart. And Jesus goes straight to that again. Like you guys are trying to have this technical conversation about the law. And I am not here to uh, argue the law with you, but to address your heart. Uh, And so he, you know, the, the Pharisees, you know, always come from left field. And Jesus is like, you're asking a question in left field, but the answer is over here in right field. And you're not even in the same place right now. I think that as we, so when I, when I think about how do we practically kind of apply this into our own life, I think about the situations where we're faced with responding to sometimes a difficult conversation or difficult interaction. And I think if we stop and pause and we ask Jesus kind of how we should respond, um, his answer is probably not going to be the thing that we typically jump to right away because it's going to be so other than what the conversation is focused on that it's not even going to 
it's, it's not going to occur to us independent of coming to him and saying, Jesus, how do I speak? How do I react in this situation? And so again, I just feel like this, this theme that we've been, been seeing of, you know, the living horizontal and taking everything to Jesus and asking him how he would respond because it seems like in our humanity, we're, we're definitely going to miss his response because it is so different than what we seem to intuitively think. And I'm sure as time goes on and we spend more and more time with him and we spend more and more time listening to him and learning to speak his words instead of our own, that we'll probably become more and more acquainted with who he is, just like we see that growth in the apostles. But it's definitely going to take some time of relying on him for teaching us what to say and how to respond in those moments. And so Jesus responding in his abundance of wisdom, jumping back into the verses, takes the the conversation on divorce all the way back to the beginning, right? And I, I think we can all recognize and understand that a vast majority of the story of Scripture is the story once tinted by the introduction of sin, tinted by the introduction of the, the breaking of the relationship that was intended from the beginning. And so Jesus goes before that in addressing this conversation with uh, the Pharisees. And he says, you know, in the very beginning, when, when God created, he brought them together and he made them male and female. And the intention was for the male to leave his parents and to go to her and God joined them together. And no one, no one was to separate them. And so this, this covenant relationship that is being entered is unterminable. What's the word? Unterminable. Is that the word? (laughs) There's definitely no certificate of divorce. Yes. There's no certificate of divorce in the conversation here. But then, you know, the Pharisees, because they are knowledgeable about the law, then respond and they say, well, Moses permits it. And so why would Moses permit it? If if God's intention wasn't that, then why did Moses, who was a man that was led by God and who was handed regulations by God, why did Moses permit divorce? Then he talks about how how it's because of their hearts being hardened that they're permitted to to offer or give, I guess not offer, but give a certificate of divorce. And it's like Jesus has been announcing the kingdom of of heaven is coming. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's breaking in. It's coming. It's new. It's a new covenant, right? And so we're, he, he, again, recognizing he's going to be leaving soon. And like, that's, this is ushering in the kingdom. And so he wants people to be prepared and equipped and ready to live into this kingdom, which goes all the way back to before there was the law, right? Mm -hmm. It goes back to the beginning of creation. And so he's saying, Hey, as you walk in the kingdom, this is what it looks like. Be reconciled to your husband, be reconciled to your wife. And I think coming off of this conversation of forgiveness and the what we talked about last week with regards to the unmerciful, unmerciful servant and how many times we're supposed to forgive and that it's limitless, it's infinite. 
Um, so it is, Jesus is saying, so it is with marriage. And, and you're right, Natasha. I mean, there's no, there's no limit to the amount of times. And so I, I think it's important to remember in any covenant relationship, no matter how many times that we're hurt, there's no limit, like a covenant friendship, a covenant, like, granted, we don't, we aren't like, uh, we don't get a, a marriage certificate for, for friendships, but the reality is like, we make these covenant relationships and no matter how many times we're hurt, whether it's, whether it's our, with our, our, our relationship with our, our children, with our, our spouse, with our brother, sister, mom, dad, no matter how many times we're hurt, like God intends for there to be reconciliation. And even if the other person on the other side of that equation doesn't know Jesus, that doesn't absolve us from not mm. trying to reconcile. Um, if you follow Jesus, your goal should always, always be reconciliation, no matter what the cost. Because once you enter that covenant, like it doesn't end until our life ends. And so we should always be about going out, like the like the wandering sheep that we're always going out in pursuit, or the pagan and and tax collector that we're always trying to usher them back in, like Jesus. And so, you know, I've, yeah. I've, as as you were saying that, you were. I was thinking about the Pharisees and kind of what their response must have been. And I wonder how many of them may have been sitting there thinking, I thought I was following the law. And so I gave my wife a certificate of divorce according to the law of Moses. And now Jesus, who this maybe Messiah, is telling me that I've committed adultery and that I've caused her to do the same. And so I wonder how many of them are like coming face to face, like you said, with this reality of, of what should have been done and what wasn't done and this lost opportunity to be a part of the kingdom building here. And it's too easy to just like sever relationships in our context. You know, I can't speak about theirs. I, I mean, it seems like it was fairly easy to sever relationships then as well, but um, just because it's easy doesn't mean that that's the right thing. Like, you know, um, mm -hmm. I think, you know, for them, it's easy to stick to the law because that's what they know. And so it's comfortable. Yeah. yeah. And so confronting Jesus with a question and saying like, pick which one's better. And like, he goes like, like off like 180 degrees, the opposite direction from either one of those. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, it, it's it's a great reminder that whether we are like Abraham, Moses, all these covenants that have been made, like covenant with David, like God honors his portion of the covenant, and he's expecting the same in return. And so if you enter any kind of covenant relationship, whatever it looks like, we shouldn't just find the easy way out. Because Jesus recognized what it meant for him to be the new covenant. And he didn't take the easy way out. Right. Like this was the, like he's, this is like along the trajectory of where he's going to come to that place to become the new covenant. And so it's, it's part of that living into the, the kingdom as you were talking about. I think that 
as a whole in society today, we have lost or or we don't really understand what it means to live in relationship. We definitely don't understand what it means for a relationship to be covenant. Um, but even that, like that removed from the table, relationship doesn't necessarily mean much other than a situation between an individual and another that is beneficial for one or both of them for a time. Like that's essentially what we understand relationship to be now. Relationship is not about this commitment to the other, regardless of the cost. It's which would be more like a covenant understanding of relationship. It's more just this mutually beneficial thing that we enter as long as it's beneficial for us and good for us, quote unquote good. Um, and then when it stops being that we, we disengage and we move on or to use the terms of today's passage, we divorce and move on. Like I, I recognize that, you know, this passage is talking about marriage specifically, but I think that just as it seems like marriage was kind of being, um, diminished in its understanding by the Pharisees. I think that relationships as a whole are diminished in their understanding today. And we could benefit from a, a new understanding of relationship and uh, of an understanding of relationships being rooted in a covenant commitment to each other. And as Christians, that's what relationships are whether the other side of the relationship agrees with that understanding or not, whether they're a Christian or not as a Christian, when we come into contact with others, like it's not about what I can get out of it, but what I can commit to it. And so this idea of, of covenant, I think is a, a big deal. And when we talk about covenant with Christ in mind, there is no end to the expectation of my willingness to give into a situation, even if it costs me a lot. As an example, we'll use Jesus because he's probably the best example. He was so committed to a covenant relationship as God incarnate to his creation that he allowed it to take him all the way to the cross and it cost him his life. There was no limit to what he was willing to give in an effort to reconcile everybody back to him, even the ones who weren't repentant. He still died. He still died. And it's God's will that none should perish. So he died even for the one who was going to never choose to choose him. And so when I think about it in that way, when I think about mar- this coming back to this marriage conversation, like this idea of forgiveness, it is an uncomfortable conversation to have for sure because I feel like from a cultural perspective, it's not what we believe. But a marriage is a commitment. A marriage is a covenant. And if we use Christ as our model for what it means to exist in a covenant relationship, it means we lay down our life to the point of it costing us our very life. Well, I mean, he is the 
the bridegroom. Yeah. And, and we are the bride. So if we if we pull it back to that that scale and view marriage in that way, then I mean that really is what he did for us being the the bride the bride. You know, he he was willing to go to any length. And so yeah, I, I think for me, as you say that, like I'm not even thinking of marriage in the context that they're thinking any longer. I'm thinking like he's talking about me, that he's willing to go to great lengths for me, mm. that he wants, that he's willing to continue to forgive me and forgive me and forgive me because he wants me, because he doesn't want me to perish. And so then if I bring that back into the context that we were just talking, like that should be our desire for, like you said, even the one who doesn't want what we have to offer. And so if we always hold it in that perspective that he is the groom that went went to the grave for us, that, that bore our sin, and then our response should be the same, whether it's in our covenant marriage, like our legal binding marriage, or it's in our covenant relationship with the sheep that are lost that God's called us to. And in that regard, he's not willing to divorce us for anything. And I think this conversation is hard. And perhaps that's why the appropriate response from the disciples was, if this, yeah, if the situation between a husband and a wife, if this is the case, then as you were saying, Brittany, it's better Better not to. And that conversation that Jesus continues to have about the eunuchs, it makes more it make it makes more sense. If if we're we're living and we're having that same sacrificial love, if it's not if we can't live that sacrificial life, then it's it's better off that you not. If you're and it says for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And it takes me back to when we were talking about the little ones, causing the little ones to stumble. And if you are not going to live that way, don't, don't pretend like you are mm-hmm. because you're just going to cause harm to the kingdom. So there's this emphasis then on putting, placing a really high importance on the covenant relationships that we enter. Mm-hmm. And valuing them so much so that we're willing to be reconciled within them at all costs. So as we're talking about this, um, it, it makes me think of, of a friend that we have, and I'm, I won't mention their name for, uh, for anonymity's sake, um, but this friend, he um, mar- married a girl and... Um, absolutely in love, head over heels, really young when they got married. And, um, a little bit into, to their marriage, um, something changed within her. Um, they, they had lost a baby and it just completely changed, um, how she felt about him, how she felt about life, how she felt about, about her relationship with Jesus. And so she walked away from him, walked away from the church, walked away from, from, just everything, everything that was her, was her life and, um, everything that he had signed up for when he entered a covenant relationship with her 
no longer existed because the person he had entered into covenant with was not the same person anymore. Um, and, and so I think at this point, right, like she, she requested a divorce. And so, um, in first Corinthians, I think it's chapter seven, uh, Paul kind of talks about, you know, if, if a non-believer asks you for a certificate of divorce and you've done all you can to reconcile with them, then, then grant it by all means, live at peace. Like we're not going to fight with the unbeliever over this, but if they'll stay with you, then, then by all means continue, continue. Um, so he, he grants her. Uh, the divorce that she wants, even though it, it breaks his heart. And, um, so then, you know, some years pass and he tries to kind of keep tabs on her, you know, in, in ways that he can with, without, you know, obviously encroaching on her privacy just because he's concerned about her. Um, some more years pass by and he's kind of lost track of her altogether, but, um, some people are starting to try to set him up with, with young, young Christian women who love Jesus and he loves Jesus and he's, he's serving in ministry. And, um, but he, he, he declines and he tells him no. And when you talk with him about why, um, he will tell you because this is because he entered into a covenant relationship with her. And whether she chooses him or not is irrelevant because he entered into a covenant relationship with her. And so now in his obedience to follow Jesus, that means insofar as it is up to him, he will continue to be reconciled with her. And even if she never chooses him, which keep in mind, he's kind of lost all contact with her. It seems like that's probably the case. But even if he never even if she'll never be reconciled with him, he will continue to pursue that, that relationship, that reconciliation, or wait for that reconciliation, make himself available to that reconciliation. Because his rationale is, and kind of what him and Jesus have come to understand through a lot of prayer and a lot of frustrating conversations, is that if he chooses to move on, then he closes the door for reconciliation. And that was not God's intention from the beginning. And so he waits and he trusts and he prays and he allows Jesus in the meantime to be his strength, to bring that kind of reconciliation. And when I think about him, this picture that we've been pointing or painting of Jesus who pursues us recklessly, just undeserved, like without merit, he pursues his bride this way, despite unfaithfulness, despite like complete apathy towards, towards his pursuit. This, this is what Jesus looks like. And if as Christians we're serious about following his call, if we're serious about looking like Jesus, that's what it's going to look like in relationship. And I know we're talking about marriage here, and I know this example is about marriage, but all relationship. This is what forgiveness looks like. This is what kingdom reconciliation looks like. And it's hard. It's not easy. It's for this particular person, it's costing him a large part of his life. There's a lot of things that he's giving up in this, but Jesus promises that what can be gained is so much greater. 
And so he's resting in that hope and that trust and that belief. And I guess I, his story inspires me to want to have that desire for reconciliation in all avenues of my life. You know, uh, one thing that, as you were talking, that stuck out to me, and it came up in our, our one of, from one of the tables on Sunday was the level of commitment. Like when we when when a eunuch was brought up, you know, it was said that there there's like no going back. You know? mm-hmm. And that's really what Jesus like this is where he is headed. You know, like thinking about what you were sharing, Natasha, Jesus had a level of commitment to bring reconciliation, as you pointed to, that it was he was willing to do whatever it cost, which would eventually be his life to to fulfill this covenant relationship that to bring about this this new covenant and that's that's the kind of resolve that we have to have that's the kind of commitment that Jesus wants that no no matter the wrong that's come before us no matter the wrong that we may have in a relationship he is desiring this resolve that that we're headed to the cross and the question is, is who are we bringing with us? Because we're, we're either having people, we're either discipling and people are following us or we're causing them to turn and run. Hmm. And this level of commitment, like, you're not going to let anybody run. Like, you're, you're going to be like, you know, throwing your arms out to keep people from running around you because you don't want them to miss this. And so this level of commitment, it's not anything of this world. I mean, really, like the the level of commitment that Jesus is asking for is nothing on our own that we can do. Like when we enter these, like when we enter marriage, we, we come before Jesus recognizing like we're two people becoming one. And if we're going to make it, we're going to have to have him to do it. Mm-hmm. We're going to have to be able to work through all these things. And it's the same way in our, in this journeying toward where he's calling us to go. Like we have to be willing to recognize that we're like to still a kid's song. Like we're all in this together. <laughs> yes. And so, I mean, that's really the reality. We're in this together and we're trying to help everyone. We're trying it's like we're trying to grab everyone that we can along the way. And it takes a great level of commitment. And so, Jesus, I recognize that in this area of commitment that I sometimes fall short, sometimes more than I want to. And I want to have that level of resolve, that commitment, because that's what you did for me. Like, as your, as your bride, that's what you did for us. You were willing to do whatever it took. And you're still willing to do whatever it takes to bring about reconciliation. And that's what I want to do. Like you say it all the time, Nick, like we're agents of, of reconciliation. That's, that's who we are. And so Jesus, that's what I want to be. But even more than I think that I possess, because I know that, that greater is he that is in me. And so Jesus, I, I just like, I recognize that it's there, but I, I guess my, my statement is, is like, I want to be able to do it better, whatever that looks like. Because that's what our neighbors need. That's what our our spouses need. That's what our 
moms and dads and brothers and uncles and all the people that you place in our life that we call neighbor, like that's what they need. As you were talking, the the thing that went through my mind is the the relationship that we have with the others that are in like the local church body that we're a part of and how I feel like, again, we've, we've lost, we, we don't fully understand what it means to live in relationship anymore. We, it, we've made it way too easy to exit a relationship. Um, and that is also true in the church. Like people will show up and, and be there as long as it's, beneficial or comfortable for them. And then when it stops being beneficial or comfortable, we disappear and we move on. And I feel like this passage and the words that you were sharing and Natasha, the the story that you told, when I think about it in terms of um, the church and the covenant relationship that we have with the body of Christ, I'm left with this question of what would the church look like? if we understood our engagement and participation as a covenant, both with the people of that local body and with Christ, how would that impact what we do? I I mean, I'm asking it. I think the passages that we've been working through for the past couple of weeks answer it, but how would that impact what we do? How would that change the way we operate. I think rather than seeing a revolving door, we would see pockets of people that were beginning to reflect the humble and sacrificial nature of our Lord and Savior. And if the church started to look like that, I don't know that we would have to put our arms out to try to keep people from running away. Because people, we'd have to have our arms out because people are running to us. Because they just want a piece of of that. Because that is a love that doesn't make sense. That That is a reckless love like you talked about, Natasha. That is the love that Jesus has. And for far too long, we as the church have watered down what it looks like <laughs> to have the love of Christ because maybe just like the Pharisees, we've started to focus a little bit too much on the, uh, on the intricacies and the, the nuances of the law. And we have lost sight of our love who is Jesus. But when we turn our focus towards him and he becomes the one and only, we start to look like those who have, chosen a commitment that we can't go back on for the sake of the kingdom. And while some people might think that's crazy, it won't take long for them to realize that it's refreshing and exactly what they want as well. Nick, as you were talking about, about this, I, I couldn't help, but, but kind of think about how difficult this task of reconciliation is the like, and I got this picture of, so we've talked about Jesus as the example of this one who's, who's going to give it all. Mm -hmm. And Jesus the night before, or like the night of his arrest is in the garden and he's 
praying and he's battling through this thing that he knows his father is calling him to and begging him, begging him for a different way, begging him for a way out, begging for, for some other means of reconciliation to come forward. And God's response to him, I imagine, must have been something along the lines of, Jesus, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud. Look at all that we've accomplished together. But this isn't it. There's more. And if you don't do this, how will we ever reconcile them? If you don't do this, right? And so, and so G- Jesus is wrestling with this, right? Because at, at the end of the day, it's, it's his choice, right? He, he fully God, fully man has this choice. And I guess fortunately for us, he chooses reconciliation, knowing full well what it's going to cost. The incredible anxiety and stress and strain that's on him. It's evident like in every physical, you know, physical way that could be described in scripture. And he still chooses to go to the cross. And so I feel like with that model, I recognize, I mean, there's going to be some really, really agonizing conversations with God that, that are going to occur and that are okay to occur. And he welcomes it, right? He, he, Jesus prayed, prayed through this. And I think there's a lot of us that are going to be at various times in our life stuck in these situations where reconciliation is so hard and it's going to cost so much or it's becoming so tiring, so exhausting, so threatening And if we follow Jesus as our model, right, Jesus took all of these things to his father in prayer and he wrestled through them in prayer and to receive the strength of God. And so I don't know, I just, I guess, I guess it just leaves me in this place of, of recognizing this this very high and, and tall call that is laid before all of us. And some of us are going to have a much more painful garden of Gethsemane than some of the others of us. And I think when we, when we consider our relationship in the body, it's, it's one of the reasons why having a community of believers around you is so important that are going to give godly advice, that are going to speak only the words of God to you, and that are going to encourage you and love you and pray with you, pray through with you. Be sure to follow the Living Vertizano podcast to stay current on all our new releases. To learn more about the church at Riverstone, visit us at thechurchatriverstone.org.